Let the children be fed first, as you said a moment ago. For it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the... You could say that Jesus was having a bad day that day. You, were, you could say that he was having like an off day. And who doesn't have an off day? You could say that we all toss off comments from time to time without thinking very much about them. Comments like that. You could say that his reluctance to help this woman who is not of his religious group, not of his gender, not of his nationality or his ethnicity, is a trap we also fall into. It's probably easier for most of us to sympathize with someone whose perspective or appearance or life experience is closer, closer, closer to my own. Yes? Jesus is in a foreign land. He's not in Kansas anymore. He's in her land, the land of Tyre and Sidon, what's now Lebanon. And in this land, he's the foreigner. He is the guest in this land. But he's in a private house, it says. Presumably, he's there in that house among friends, maybe among his followers, people who are more like him, and maybe calling this woman a dog is throwing a bone, so to speak, to his wider audience, whoever they may be, those gathered in the house that day. I could make other excuses for Jesus. Just watch me. I could say that some scholars point out that the word dog, that word dog that sounds kind of harsh to us in English and that we assume would be a powerful insult in the ancient Near East, even more so than here and now. You could say that the word translated dog is a poor translation of the Greek word, kunarion. Kunarion, it's, it's a diminutive. It could be translated little dog, cute little young dog. You could say Jesus isn't calling her a dog. He's calling her a puppy. (laughs) As though that makes it okay. Now I could say that I'm not going to judge Jesus until I'm sure that I'm free of making any thoughtless, hurtful, and insensitive comments myself. Now thoughtful as I am, thoughtful as you know me to be, there are times when even I say snarky things. And I sometimes hear others saying snarky things, even in church, believe it or not. (laughs) Imagine that. Now, certainly in our current cultural, our current political context, name-calling has become more common than at any time I can recall. A time when insults show up too easily in in social media. And I could blame it on our tweeter-in-chief, but truth is, these easy insults show up all over the place. They show up in back-and-forth comments posted at the end of newspaper articles to such a degree that a lot of news outlets don't bother 
posting comments anymore. They show up in, at the end of otherwise innocent Facebook posts, people going at each other that they don't even know. When in doubt, call it out and throw a little shade, because God knows there's plenty of shade to throw. So, all of which is by saying, it would be very easy to make excuses for Jesus. But he doesn't ask us to, and so I'm not going to. Because when our Syrophoenician friend calls him on the insult, he doesn't get defensive, does he? He, he backs off. He changes his mind. He turns it around. He sees he's being a jerk, frankly. He understands he's had a bit of what I would call a compassion gap. This person, who for me is defined by his compassion, has suffered a compassion gap. A compassion gap. He's fallen into this compassion gap, but when he meets a little resistance, he gets it. He turns around. He backs off. He gives her the help. And more importantly, or as importantly, he gives her the respect that she requires, that she deserves, that she needs. So today I want to talk together a little bit about this compassion gap, because I think it's at the root of of some of the frustrating and perturbing things that are going on in our current culture. And I would like, before I'm done, to suggest a, a couple of ways, a few ways to avoid this compassion gap, a compassion gap that I think we all, from time to time, fall into. But what are we talking about when we talk about compassion? Why am I using that word instead of mercy or pity or something else. What do we talk about when we say compassion? First of all, compassion is completely different from pity. Pity assumes a hierarchy of status, right? We can pity somebody that we feel superior to. When we feel pity, it basically assumes our superiority to that person. When we feel pity, it it assumes that we are not in that same situation as whoever we're pitying. Worse, we can pity somebody without doing anything about it except feeling that pity. It's like that Alasana song, Congratulations, I Hate You, which goes, I don't, and don't smile at me and tell me things will work out for me too. I don't want your pity. I hate your pity. I taste your vanity and the sweet bitterness of your pity. But the truth is, even if you're not an Alessana fan, the truth is nobody needs pity. Nobody wants pity. Nobody needs to put up with pity. We need compassion. We need to give it, and we need to receive it. Here's how compassion is different. Compassion assumes that we're on the same level, you and I. Compassion requires us being on an equal level, being on the same level. It knows that all humans, all sentient beings are on an equal level 
in the eyes of God. Compassion literally means to, to suffer with, compassion, to suffer with, to feel with, to experience to the extent that it's possible the pain of another person as if it's my own pain. And that's completely different from pity, isn't it? There's this gorgeous poem by the 18th century British poet William Blake, even more famous than Congratulations, I Hate You. And it's called simply On Another's Sorrow. It starts off with these words of compassion, of feeling with, these words of suffering alongside. Can I see another's woe and not be in sorrow too? Can I see another's grief and not seek for kind relief? Can I see a falling tear and not feel my sorrow's share? Can a father see his child weep, nor be with sorrow filled? Can a mother sit and hear an infant groan, an infant fear? No, never can it be. No, never can it be. And can God, who smiles on all, Hear the wren with sorrows small. Hear the small birds' grief and care. Hear the woes that infants bear. And not sit beside the nest, pouring pity in their breast. And not sit the cradle near, weeping tear, falling on infant's tear. In Blake's mind, this, this way of compassion... This very human way of compassion is what brings us close to the divine. It's what makes us capable of approaching the divine closer and closer to the way of God. Now that's why this story about Jesus and his failure to feel with the Syrophoenician woman is so jarring for me and so troubling for me. It's one I return to often. It's because I lean so much on Jesus as I try to grow closer in my life to the ways of God. As I try to grow closer to those divinely inspired paths of love and justice and and reconciliation. As I try to get closer to that God-inspired path of compassion. Especially since in my way of looking at it, it's that amazing compassion of God, the the God that I meet in the Bible, the, the one who Rabbi Heschel calls not the unmoved mover of Greek philosophy, but the most moved mover, the most moved mover whose tale is told, whose characteristics are given to us in the pages of Scripture, that most moved mover, who is the one who feels with us, whose eye is on the sparrow, so we know that God is watching us. It's the companion of God. It's the compassion of God, that felt compassion of God that leads God to become one of us in the first place, that led God to become one of us in the person of Jesus in the first place. But the other side of that is that being one of us means that sometimes Jesus falls like we do, into a compassion gap. This big fail of Jesus is that he sees this woman as different, as less than. 
he allows this difference that he sees in her gender, religion, ethnicity, and nationality. He sees it and thinks it matters. And that causes this compassion gap in him as it does for us. Luckily, luckily for Jesus, he meets resistance, and it's a compassionate resistance. This Syrophoenician woman stands up for herself, but she does it in a way that takes his words and turns them around in such a way that he can accept that resistance. That resistance. I want to talk about the compassion gap. Because, like I say, I think it's at the root of what's going on around us, some of the frustrating and perturbing things about our current culture. And I want to give you a couple of ways to try to avoid the compassion gap, if you're willing. First is a way that's hinted at in the reading we had today. Be open. Ephatha. Jesus tells that to the man who can't hear, the man who can't speak. Be open. Be open. But he might also be saying it to himself, having been called on his narrowness by the Syrophoenician woman, having realized his compassion gap by her persistent resistance. He's more conscious of his shortcomings, his own biases, his own limitations in this time, in this moment. Be opened. Be opened. We all have these ways of seeing borders where there are none. We see boundaries where God has drawn none. We see walls and fences that separate us from each other, even if they're only in our imagination, and they cause us to fall into this compassion gap. And there are times when we need to call ourselves and each other on it. When we need to yell to ourselves, be opened. Repeat that after me. Be open. Be open. There are times we need to shout it. Be open. Be open. There are times when we need to turn to the person next to you and shout, be open. There are times when we really need to do it and shout, be open. Be open. Ifafa. Oh, yeah. Okay. So your Aramaic stinks like mine. Be opened. Be opened. I don't care about your Aramaic, but remember the English as we go about our week today. Be open. Try to be open. Charlene asked me a question as we were looking at the Syrophoenician story together. Her question was this. Jesus is in the house with whoever he's with. How did she get in? Who let her in? Who opened the door? Who said to that door, be opened? (laughs) Be opened. Somebody opened the door for that woman. Somebody who was not at that moment suffering that same compassion gap. And so that's something that's available to all of us and only if we remember to be opened and open the way for other people. So second, 
Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. So much of what we read and see and hear about, it's just a distraction from what matters. Does anybody else get up in the morning and wonder what the tweet of the night was? What tweet appeared while I was blissfully sleeping? I do. And then I think, man, that is just a distraction. And it's a distraction from things that are actually going on. And yes, sometimes it's a cause of our compassion gap. And sometimes it's just a sign of that compassion gap. A sign that can remind us not to give in to the compassion gap. Not to fall in to that gap. Because it's just a distraction. I thought of that yesterday when in the middle of the day I was up in the church attic. It's a very interesting place. Anybody been in the church attic? Anybody else? Anybody want to (laughs) go? Yeah, it's pretty cool. But what was I doing in the church attic, you may ask? Thank you. I'm glad you asked. Well, I was up there with our building superintendent, Danny and two of our maintenance-slash-security guys, Jason and Jose, and I dragged them up there to try to figure out where this leak that we have was coming from. Now, it's not surprising to have a leak in a building of this antiquity, but I don't like the leaks. They trouble me, and they're not a good thing, and I wanted to do something about it, so I, I brought them up there, I, yes, the truth is, I, I thought I knew exactly what was happening. I thought I knew exactly where the leak was coming from. So really, I brought the three of them up with me to prove that I was right. But something was wrong. Things did not seem to be the way I had assumed them to be. So at one point, I made us all turn off our flashlights that were lighting the way. This was very frightening to Jose, who was not sure he wanted to be there in the first place. He wasn't sure who really was there with us. But I made us turn off our flashlights, and we sat there for a moment in the dark. And we looked up at the roof above us. And suddenly, it became very, very clear what was going on. And it wasn't what I had said, and it wasn't what I assumed. But in the dark without the distracting light around, it became clear what was going on, what the trouble really was. These little spots of light that appeared as we looked up at the roof. We could see what the problem really was. And finally, my last point. Compassion is not something you have. Compassion is not something you feel in your heart. It's something you do. Compassion requires action. It's something that you do. It compels us to act. It compels us to reach out to somebody else. You can't stay in yourself. You can't stay wrapped up in your stuff if you're acting out of compassion. So how do we get to that place of compassion? Be open to the humanity around you, the humanity of all around you. Don't be distracted by those things that divide us. 
And last, and most important, do your compassion. Do your compassion. Do your compassion. Come, ye compassionate followers of Jesus. Reach out your hands in love. Fearlessly feel. Love knows no boundaries. Love knows no borders. Earth has no sorrow that love cannot heal.